perception of value. Uh, it can be even a greater attraction for people. And the perceived value of the vessels that we have for the guest, thank goodness, is tremendous. You know, they like the fact that they can get a free refill or a 99 cent refill. And when they look at the board and they, they compare it to the, the pricing of the single use or disposable cup, um, you know, it really is a perceived value for them. And that's why I think the parks sell so many of them. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's going well. Good. I'm, I'm concerned. I'm actually very <laughs> concerned to hear that. <laughs> How long have you been planning that? Um, like three seconds. <laughs> <laughs> if someone's listening to the podcast for the first time right now, they have no idea what's going on. No, they, they don't. But I hope they have a fantastic time listening to the rest of it. How's that? <laughs> That really threw me off there. I, I like you like threw off my center of gravity. I was not expecting that whatsoever. You're welcome. Yeah. Matt, are you thirsty? I'm thirsty. I get thirsty often. Yes. <laughs> should I take a, a sip of my beverage? I think you should. There you go. I've got both an, I have an empty coffee mug to my left and an empty water glass to my right. Otherwise I would, I would join you in that sip as well, but okay. I'm actually thirsty for some knowledge about- beverage, and also occasionally food containers that are used in the theme parks and attractions industry. So this is one of those episodes that is very specific, but I love it for its specificness, if that makes sense, right? It's one big rabbit trail down the, uh, down the trail of drinks and drink containers and vessels and whatever you want to call them. Um, and we have a fantastic guest today to kind of walk us through that. His name is Bernie Campbell. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it is a very specific topic and I guess like very niche, but in this conversation, I didn't feel like we were talking about a super specific topic that requires like this specific knowledge. I felt like we were talking about the theme park industry and the way that a lot of revenue is spent, particularly inside the gates. And uh, Bernie is with Whirly Drink Works, which he'll tell us it's actually made up of four specific and separate uh, companies. And they provide uh, and create and manufacture and design uh, many of the containers and souvenir drink cups, bottles, popcorn buckets, all of that uh, to the theme park industry. And we get a, a full deep dive into how that's all made and the impact that it has on an overall theme park's bottom line and, and the guest experience. Josh, you know when you have those moments when you just kind of realize what a cool industry we're in? <laughs> when he said TIE Fighter Popcorn Bucket, like I got chills. It was just so, <laughs> that's one of those cool moments. Um, but, you know, he really does talk about how 
it's not just about that vessel, if you will, but it's the program around it, right? And how much it can increase revenue and how it can really, in many ways, based on their innovations, impact the guest experience. Yeah, 100%. He shares uh, some great examples of how some of the things that they do not only have a great ROI to the business, because of course that's extremely important, but also how it impacts guest satisfaction as well. And the funny thing is, and, and we bring this up in the interview, is that uh, you and I are both roller coaster enthusiasts. And I've always felt like there's been a disconnect between roller coaster enthusiasts and souvenir cup purchasers. And that's because you often can't take them in line with you. You can't take them on the ride. They're difficult to store. And, and you brought that up in terms of saying that uh, parks have started to evolve with being able to store the containers and also the way that the bottles have been evolved to be able to make them easier to carry. So, uh, yes, I think this the, the TIE Fighter popcorn bucket <laughs> is one of many moments in this interview that just kind of clicked of, what a great industry we're in that's just so fascinating and interesting. And I'm really excited to uh, share this interview with Bernie. Let's do it. And grab a drink. Bernie Campbell, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you doing today, Bernie? I am doing awesome, Matt. I am so honored to be here today with you. Thanks for inviting me on. Absolutely. We are so honored to have you here. Uh, now, your name may be a household name in the food and beverage uh, area of the attractions industry, but tell everybody else, who is Bernie Campbell? Let's see. Who is Bernie Campbell? He's a work in progress, that's for sure. But uh, uh, he's, a, um, he's a son. He's a father. Uh, he's a brother. Um, he works for Whirly Industries, a Whirly Drink Works. I've been in the industry for 33 years, I think it'll be this year. So I've been around a long time. Um, going to IAPA, my gosh, I, I think I've been to IAPA like 30 years. Um, so it, it's been a while there. I've uh, really, um, really enjoyed this particular industry. And, and luckily for me, Whirly has allowed me to kind of spread my wings in the industry and, and do what I need to do to, to be involved and get involved. And, and I love it. Um, you know, some things that people may not know about me is I, I am a I, I'm an ex water polo player now up until pre pandemic. Uh, I, I could say I was a water polo player. But the last two years because of the pandemic, uh, I haven't been able to get in the water there. There's not you know, there hasn't been pool time to be able to do that. So I'm actually kind of scared to see if I really still am a water polo <laughs> player or, uh, you know, or, or if, if I'm going to have to retire. So so that's a little bit about Bernie Campbell. <laughs> well, thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about Whirly Drinkworks as well, and a little bit about the company and I would say the businesses and industries that you serve? Yeah, absolutely. So Whirly Drinkworks um, is made up of four different companies now, believe it or not. We have Whirly Company, which is based in Warren, Pennsylvania. Uh, that's where we do a lot of our, our molding and decorating of things that we make in the USA. We have our Drinkworks division, which does a lot of work from overseas. So that would be the all those cool Disney popcorn buckets and the Universal Studios specialty drink containers that you see, uh, the you know the, the signature containers that you see around. We've got our EasyGo division, which is our stainless steel division, which hasn't been huge in this industry because, as you said, Matt, we do a lot in food and beverage. We're not a big retail type company. I know there's a ton of retail, you know, stainless steel in the industry, but from a food and beverage perspective, we're kind of just starting that. People are doing a, a super premium refill container now, and that's usually a, a stainless steel. 
And, and then we've got a, a fourth little known division called uh, Validfill. And Validfill is our technology division. So Validfill is a company that um, it, we, we work with RFID chips. The RFID chips are actually on the bottom of product, whether it be a mug or a cup or something like that. Uh, the, the, the first big thing that we did with Valdfield was with Royal Caribbean. So you bought a Royal Caribbean mug, you had a chip on the bottom, you walked up to their freestyle machines, and the machine knew whether you paid for the mug or not, and whether you got free refills for the whole trip or not. It actually uh, helped get people out of line. And, and actually, with all the staffing issues and labor issues today, Josh, um, the, the Valdville division is really taking off. We, we've got a, a tremendous amount of interest in it because we can we can help uh, alleviate some of the labor involved with with beverages. So, Bernie, I'm curious because you just mentioned cruises. You know, there's a lot of other places where uh, your products are a lot of other industries. But you said you've been going to IAPA for 30 years. So, how did you get so attached to the attractions industry? You know what? Everyone is so nice in this industry, and, and I think I really just enjoyed it. And the the, the one thing that it, that is different about this industry than a lot of other industries that I deal with is the information share that people are willing to do. You know, um, I always say to people, it's marketing's job to get people in the door at these, and, and you know, they, they kind of fight with each other for for the amount of bodies to get in the gate. But but once you're in. You know, I, I'm not leaving Dorney Park at noon because Six Flags Great Adventure has a, a better hamburger. You know, I, I, I'm staying where I'm at. And the thought process, at least in food and beverage, and I'm sure it's like this in the rest of the industry, too. Food and beverage is a microcosm of it. But but everyone's trying to raise the bar and help everybody get better. And, and that, I think, is what really attracted me to the industry, because I, I like to think of myself as someone who likes to help people. And there's nobody that helps people more than the people in this industry. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, really cool to hear, I would say, your, your perspective on that and kind of um, just how, how everyone, that information share that is within the industry. Can you talk about, in terms of what you do and all the different industries that you serve amongst all four of the companies, where does the attractions industry fit in with the mix? We talked about cruises. We were talking about uh, sports or concert entertainment venues earlier. So kind of, I would say where, if we were to sort of look at a figurative pie chart, I would say, how, how big is the attractions industry's segment here? It, it, it's big, Josh. I mean, it, it, it's our number one uh, channel that we deal with. Um, as you alluded to, we do a lot with sports and entertainment. We do a lot with convenience stores. We do a lot with performance theaters, uh, a lot with colleges. Um, it just depends. But, but you know, that, that pie chart would have a huge blue area for, uh, for theme parks. So it's one of the most important um, channels that we work with at Worley. And uh, we certainly spend a lot of time on it. And, and listen, I'm not the only one that has a passion for it in, in our you know, in our company, there are a lot of people that are very passionate about this industry. And I think that's why we've been as successful as we've been in working and partnering with everybody in the industry. Bernie, can you, you know, without giving away too much of your, your, um, your secret sauce, can you talk a little bit about, you know, when you're working with a client, whether it's Universal Studios or, or Six Flags or Dorney Park, what that process is to come up with, you know, an, a, a new drink container or a new food and beverage container. At the end of the day, it's got to hold liquid, right? If it's a, if sure. it's a liquid container. So what, what's the kind of the design and the thought process and the creative process behind that? 
Yeah, so it really depends on who we're talking about. Someone like at Disney, we're creating products from scratch all the time. And I've got a counterpart out in California. His name is Jim Quinlan, another counterpart in Florida named Chris Ristow. And they've got lead or they've got point on the Disney account. And those guys are so creative and they work with our new product development team and, and, and they just build a product from scratch. You know, they sit down with the Disney team. They decide what's going to be new. You know, two or three years ago, we were working on Star Wars stuff for, you know, for Disney. You know, and, and now we're starting to see those come to fruition and come to light. And it's really cool to see those products and, and uh, you know, the TIE Fighter popcorn buckets and, and all that type of stuff actually, actually come to life. And, uh, and, and those two guys are, are tremendous at it. Uh, they're, they're really good at, at building products like that. And, and a lot of our business, Matt, is, as you said, it's putting a drink in a container, right? I mean, it's, it's a little more than that. And, and yeah. maybe we'll dive into that a little bit. But, but um, our strength is that we make a lot of product here in the USA, not, not the stuff that's custom. You know, all, all that comes from overseas. It just makes more sense to do it there. But we have a lot of product here in the USA that we can decorate in our factory and, uh, and, and put a cool decoration on it. So, you know, it, it's really our decorating capability, I think, that sets us apart from a lot of people. And it's the ability to make a lot of product here in the States, which, as you know, it's not, you know, there's not that many companies doing that any longer. Ho hopefully mm -hmm. there'll be more and more. But, uh, but, but I'm very proud of the fact that, that you know, 80% of our product line is made here in the USA. When you talk about kind of going from that functional component of what the container needs to do to the aesthetic and the decorative component, which turns it into the appealing <clears throat> retail item. Curious if you could talk about balancing or kind of finding ways around some of those challenges that maybe those two might compete with each other. So for instance, you mentioned a TIE fighter popcorn bucket. That sounds awesome, but I got to imagine that that's got to be somewhat difficult because it's it needs to hold popcorn. It needs to look like a TIE fighter. There's now the IP that's involved. So it probably needs to look exactly right in what Disney, what Star Wars needed to look like. Kind of how does that all fit in place with the creative element of designing these items? Listen, I, I wish I was a creative as a lot of people on our team. That, that's not my thing, right? My, my thing is helping to put programs together. And, and you know, I, 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 I jest a little bit. I'm a little creative, but but it's really sitting down. It's the process. It's, it's almost like, um, and I hate to relate it to building a whole park, but at some point, Disney, when they decided to put the new Star Wars land in, it, that was a concept. You know, people sat around a table and said, hey, what are we going to do now? What's next? What does it have to look like? And, and they kind of built that from the ground up. You know, they, I'm sure there were little models of it. And, and it's really the same when, when we build a drink container, a specialty container like that. You know, we're, we're, we're sitting around. We, we've got a, uh, you know, a, a, an idea session that we sit around with the Disney team on. And uh, we talk about what it needs to look like, how exact it needs to be. And we build little models. And then from those little models, we get approvals from whoever we need to get it. You know, the uh, the, the Star Wars team, the Disney team, um, you know, a lot of times Coke and Pepsi or Pepsi might be involved in the process as well. So there's, there's a lot of different angles that you have to get approvals from. And, and then we cut steel, you know, overseas. We make the molds necessary to do it. It goes through a couple different um, a couple different approval processes so that we can tweak and, and make it. And then we finally get to that end product 
and uh, and then it's delivered usually 150 to 180 days after you know after that process starts. So it, it can be a really long process to create something like that, but but it's really a lot of fun to be able to help someone bring their brand to life, right? I mean that that's really what we do. Even with just decorating the containers, we're bringing brands to life, and and um, it, it, it's really exciting to work with people and. You know, a lot of times we get to know the names and the new rides and what they're going to look like and everything way before anybody else. Of course, we can't talk about it, but but it's really fun to have that uh, that that inside piece of information. Bernie, I just love how passionate you are about talking about something that I would imagine the general public may take for granted, right? You know, hey, I got my sippy cup and stuff like that. But you bring up such a great point that, you know, when you're building a park or when you're building a, a food container or when you're, you know, creating anything that's going to be part of the guest experience, there's so much that goes into it. And I just love hearing your passion uh, that you talk about um, that that process. But you mentioned a minute ago that you're more, um, you're more focused on programs, building programs that may help um, increase revenue or guest satisfaction and that kind of thing. Can you dive into that a little bit and uh, kind of tell us what you mean by that? Yeah, we know souvenir containers can be very profitable for the locations that we deal with. So we're very serious about it. I mean, we have a playbook and, you know, we know what needs to be done to be successful. And we kind of look at ourselves and I look at myself as kind of a coach, right? And it's my job to help people execute that playbook. And if they execute it properly, Matt, believe it or not, that souvenir beverage container, you know, that it, it is second only to the gate in revenue for a lot of theme parks. So if they're executing and they're hitting on all cylinders and they are selling the amount of vessels that they can to, uh, to their guests, it, it, it is a huge revenue driver for them. And, uh, and it brings a lot of, um, you know, we, I talk about perceived value a lot, right? And, and to me, you know, there's a lot of things that bring value in the world, but I think that um, even more than value, the perception of value, uh, it can be even a greater attraction for people. And the perceived value of the vessels that we have for the guest, thank goodness, is tremendous. You know, they like the fact that they can get a free refill or a 99 cent refill. And when they look at the board and they, they compare it to the, the pricing of the single use or disposable cup, um, you know, it really is a perceived value for them. And, and that's why I think the parks sell so many of them. And again, that, you know, it, getting that the right pricing strategy, even with your disposable products is important, is an important factor in how well you do when you sell a souvenir container. We, we typically talk in penetration rates, right? And, and you guys are familiar with that. The number of bottles divided by the attendance, right? Gives you the, the, the penetration rate. And, uh, and throughout the years, we have helped people grow that penetration rate to the point where, where the, the bottles are, are, are super important for them. That's so interesting. And there was one thing that you mentioned in there too that I'm wondering if we can touch on. And that's that you said that the souvenir beverage container can sometimes be second uh, only in or compared to like ticketing revenue or admission revenue for an entire theme park. Uh, that's I, I actually did not expect that. I know that these are very profitable and, and very big revenue generators, um, but that's really interesting to see because there's usually a, a big differential from the park ticket down to the souvenir cup. How much of the 
I would say how much of the, the sales come from, I would say the merchandising and the positioning of the cup compared to the staff themselves who are the ones who are delivering that. And the reason I ask this is uh, many years ago, I did a consulting project for a large chain of theme parks who was looking to increase their souvenir cup sales. And we went and we looked at it. We looked to say, oh, this could be positioned more here, positioned more here. Uh, but we also put together a whole training program for the staff to be able to just simply go from like the $3 to the $12 uh, just increase there. And I had wondered, because I didn't have access to kind of see what the, you know, what those financials were really of saying how much of this is the staff and how much is it is everything that surrounds it as well. You know, Josh, that's a great question. It's a little bit of everything, but but there's no doubt that the staff can have the biggest influence on sales of the souvenir container. You know, that's suggestive selling. And, and luckily, what we found over the years is the bottle is a really easy suggestive sell because the perceived value is there for the guest. And for a lot of times, the, the, the um, teammates at the theme park, they understand that it is a great value for the guests. So it's one of the easier things and it's a great way to help train the staff to upsell because for the most part, you've got a lot of people saying yes, you know, there's, there's a lot, not a lot of no's, but it's part of that recipe of success that I, I, I've kind of put together and, and modeled over the years. Um, you know, you, you've got the suggestive selling, you've got point of sale. You know, it, it's funny that you know, when, when we first started in this industry, people would have those little menu boards that used to plug in the letters and it would say souvenir bottle, $13. Well, you know, that's great. No one really knows what that souvenir bottle is because it's a visual society today. So your point of sale is really important. You're planting seeds around the park. You know, if you walk into a Six Flags park, there is no question they are planting seeds with their souvenir bottle, you know, point of sale. Um, they, they want when someone walks up to their location, if they don't have a bottle, they want to make sure that they've already planted that seed. And, and, it, and it's an easy suggest to sell then for for their teammates that, that go in there. So th there's really a lot of um, a lot of psychological play that that really works into into being successful selling the souvenir bottles. You know, Bernie, one of the things that I've noticed being a roller coaster fan is that now in a lot of places, there's a spot to put your souvenir mug or souvenir cup at the roller coaster, right? There's there's a, a, a handy place to put that and hold it there while you're while you're riding. And I can only imagine that that maybe it's a it's a seed that's planted earlier. Like if I see that and I said, oh, if I get a, a souvenir bottle. I'm not going to know what to do with it. I don't want to have to put it into a locker and that kind of thing. So how much of that sort of innovation kind of comes from your team or is it kind of collaborative? Um, like the, I guess it's the, the question is the after effect of the purchase, right? And then what people do with it, because obviously that's a consideration as well. Yeah, that, that was really big, Matt, especially at the beginning, you know, when these things started to really take off, that that, that was one of the, the problems that we have. And I, and I wish I was smart enough to be there, you know, to say that I'm the one that, you know, said, hey, let's build a little cubby hole so people can put their souvenir bottles. But it really came about people in the parks, you know, they, they, they realized that there was a need for something like that. And they built it. And now, of course, we talk about that all the time because it's, it, it is part of, you know, it's part of the program now and you need somewhere to put that bottle. And it just really came about because of, of the, the quantity of these bottles that the park started to sell. Mm. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And, and 
I'll even kind of expand on Matt's point here. because That's a really good point because for me, that has always been my number one reason not to buy the bottle is because I want to get in line for a ride or a roller coaster that doesn't permit it. And then I would even think back to my ride operator days where my eyes were tuned to look for souvenir cups and say, sorry, you now need to put that in a locker. And yes, there is value if you get free refills all day, but not if you have to pay $3 to put it in a locker every time you go on a ride. So even though that's not food and beverage revenue, you're not paying for the drink, you're paying to store the cup. So I think that's, um, it, it's been cool to see kind of the, I, I would say the collaboration or the, uh, the, the evolution storage opportunities. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to do that. I actually have a question going back almost to the beginning when you talked about the RFID chips and the value that that can bring. I'm wondering if, if you can expand a little on that to kind of bring that full circle, because I've got to imagine that that does increase the cost of the product, the cost of the bottle uh, by putting the chip on the bottom of it. But you talked about the benefits of it, of being able to identify, you know, a guest who gets free refills of those who have used it, those who haven't. Can you walk us through the journey that kind of brings it back to the, the overall return on investment and the additional benefit that the park or, or the venue, whatever it is, can get from having the RFID chip. Absolutely. So in the food and beverage world, the number of transactions, you know, increasing the number of transactions is very important, right? That, that's how you generate more revenue. So if we can take a component of that, the souvenir bottle, it, it, it's widely accepted in the industry that it takes about 20 to 30 seconds to to, to transact and fill any type of souvenir vessel or fill a drink. It doesn't even matter if it's in a souvenir container. So uh, imagine if you can take those 20 or 30 seconds times how many people are in the, are in the park did that, you know, that day, 20,000, and move those out of line so that the guest is serving themselves. How many additional transactions that you can make in food and beverage when you do that. So really that that's what it's about. It, it's about saving that labor in filling the drinks and, and having the souvenir bottle and being able to take it out of line and let people fill it themselves and save that, that 20 to 30 seconds every single time. It, it, it's a huge revenue driver. As a matter of fact, for the cruise lines, we'll just talk about that real quickly. Um, when we first installed this on the cruise lines, it was so profitable for the cruise lines because imagine you're on a cruise ship pre the, 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 the chip and you have to go to the bar every single time you want to you want to get a drink. You know, you you know, I, I've got two daughters. Right. When they were growing up. Do I really want my two teenage daughters you know, having a relationship with the bartender behind the bar because they've got to get a drink? And a lot of times they were getting overlooked on a cruise ship because the bartenders want to sell alcohol because that's where they get their tips off of. So now we've taken that and we've moved that again away from the bar, which increases the amount of alcohol and food that they can sell. And, and I think one of the gentlemen from Royal Caribbean said, listen, this has been such a profitable skew for us moving this out of line. We've been able to increase revenue everywhere else that if we had to pull into port and dump our soda machines over over the railing every single time for some reason, you know, we, and bring them back on and pay for that all again. It, it would still be very profitable skew for us. So it, it's a matter of getting the people out of line and and increasing the number of transactions, no matter what particular industry that that we're dealing with. But it also, Bernie, sounds like you're taking very small 
you know, it on their own small pieces, like 20 or 30 seconds, you think about that in the scope of a, of one person's day at a theme park, and it's very, very small. But like you said, when you multiply that out, you could really be innovative when you think about where to put that and how you can, you can skew that so that you can, you know, make a whole lot more money, you know, based on how you're, you're moving the people around. Right. So I think that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. And, and one thing that we found that at the beginning of this, again, when the programs became so successful, um, we actually it, it actually became a problem because we were clogging food lines up because people wanted to refill their beverages. So that was actually slowing transactions down. So, you know, people that don't have the RFID chips, a lot of them have a separate like refill area now. You know, they've got refill stations. And, and that's the reason, because they want to get those people, you know, they wanted the beverage people out of line so that they can tender the, 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 the sales for, uh, for the food products that they're offering. Yeah. When it comes to those self-service refill stations that have become very popular or, or just kind of giving more, I would say, agency to the guests to be able to, uh, to manage their own beverages or beverage refills. Um, and I know we want to talk about COVID and bring it kind of into the, into the conversation as far as kind of what you guys have done just as a company, but curious as far as that bringing on any additional concerns of someone filling their own beverage and then having someone else do that too. So looking at it, I guess, from the the food and beverage sanitation perspective, how is that impacted? Yeah, it, it really depends on the type of, of fountain equipment that you have, Josh. So, you know, some equipment has a lever, right? And you, you push your cup against the lever. During COVID, those have all kind of, you know, a, a lot of people are trying to get away from those, or you push a button, they're trying to get away from those. Our valid fill team actually came up with, um, we call it uh, a, a touchless valve. So on some of the Cornelius um, and Lancer fountain equipment out there now, they develop this little thing that they plug in where the um, where the the um, faucet is that that you basically you just have to break a line. You don't have to actually touch the machine in order to fill up. So where where COVID has made that uh, an issue. And people don't want to be touching things anymore. You know, the, the, our valid fill team designed this specific technology so that you don't have to touch the fountain equipment anymore. You can break the line with a pen, break it with a credit card, break it with your finger, and, and you're not actually touching or moving away. But for a very long time, fountain machines were shut down, you know, at, at theme parks, at convenience stores everywhere around the country. And you know, quite frankly, that's how we live, right? That that's the, the 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 biggest part of our business is is refilling and filling containers with beverage. No matter what industry we're dealing with, whether it's the theaters or convenience stores or or wherever. So, um, COVID was a COVID was a scary time for us because we didn't know how this was going to go. I mean, you know, we all like to say now that we we knew it was was going to eventually come to an end and we'd go there. But I mean, you remember those first couple months. You know, everyone was saying, ah, it's only going to be another month. And then it was another month. And it was, and it was, oh my gosh, when, you know, is, is this ever going to end? And, uh, and so we, 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 we struggled. Fortunately, uh, Worley is a privately held company. Um, we've been very conservative fiscally over the years and, and our company was, was able to, to push through and survive. And our leadership did an outstanding job, uh, you know, just, just allowing us to be able to make it to what I call, the almost end here because I know we we, we kind of haven't ended yet, but um, but I, I'm very thankful to be part of an organization 
that um, that that was able to to fiscally sustain the the blow that that we took and that everybody took and and very happy to still be here at the end of this. Absolutely, Bernie. Can you talk a little bit more about maybe how COVID did impact your organization and maybe even some of the pivots or innovations that kind of came out of it? Um, I know you mentioned the the. Um, uh, the refill thing with the where you can just do it with your pen or whatever. Uh, but what are, what other kind of things did you um, did your your group come up with? You know, um, we, we we're working on some um, we're working on some equipment that can wash a mug out. Uh, it, it's a special dishwasher that does what a dishwasher does in thirty minutes. We 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 can do it in like thirty seconds. Um, and and there were you know, uh, 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 huge, some of the huge coffee companies, I'll, I'll say it that way, uh, we're looking for a way to be able to sanitize the, the, the beverage container, the refill containers, because, you know, listen, sustainability kind of went out the window, you know, during COVID, but, but it, it's coming back in a big way. And I think when COVID finally does, when, when we can call whatever it is, the end, the end, I think sustainability, I, I think that time frame is going to compress again, and, and it's going to become very, very important again. So refill containers, thank goodness, we think are going to be important again, and sanitizing them is going to be important as well. So we're, we're working on products like that, to, to, to help through, you know, to, to help get through that particular side of it. Um, you know, Matt, we had the same problems everyone else did, our staffing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys talk about it all the time, you and Josh and, and with guest experience and stuff. We, we've got those same issues in, in our factory up in Warren, PA, and, and in some of the factories that, that we partner with overseas. Um, staffing's a big issue, and, and I don't think it's going away anytime soon so uh you know we, we're experiencing those same type of things that the that the industry is experiencing right now um one of the things and, and you know I, i'm gonna take us in a different direction here but I, I it just popped into my head we were really fortunate during covid because of our fiscal stability that we were able to bring a digital printer into our into our factory and um and that's opened up a whole new world of, of things for us uh the digital printing allows us to do full color printing at small quantities and allows us to do really cool things to decorate i, I happen to have we've got a this was a, a dutch wonderland mug that we did uh traditionally we would not have been able to do this in smaller quantities we can now do it as little as 500 units um we're, we've done some things with with uh souvenir beverage containers like beer cups where we're getting ready to deliver this one to madison square garden i mean this is you know digitally printed you can see it looks like a photograph on the cup and and that's that's one of the pieces of the technology that, um, that that really excites me. And, and I think it's gonna be a game changer for the whole industry because now you don't have to be Six Flags or Cedar Fair in order to have a really cool full color design. You, you can be Bernie's putt-putt stand and get 500 souvenir containers. And, and in your world has have just as successful a refill program as, as the big guys do. Mm. That's really cool. So you're able to, to really lower the minimum order quantity to be able to just to broaden the amount of uh, different types of attractions and businesses that you can serve. Uh, Bernie, one of the things that I know we want to talk about as well is your involvement with IAPA and being chair of the Food and Beverage Committee. Um, can you talk a little bit about your involvement with the association and being able to, of course, connect with, you know, many other people, you know, in the industry as well and uh, uh, benefits that have, um, 
that you've gained from being so involved with IAPA? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, IAPA has been a true blessing for me because I've gotten to meet great people like yourselves. You know, there it's just been terrific. And and um, you know, many years ago, I was fortunate enough to bump into people like Ken Whiting and Bobby Amoruso and and John Lawn and Terry Riddle and and just a, a plethora of other people that that I'm sure gonna be mad that I, that I didn't mention them, but um, but 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 they. I think they saw the passion that I had for the industry and um, and my, the, the thirst for knowledge that I had about the industry and, and not just about our products, right, about the industry in general. And and, and I said at the beginning of the program, I, I, I think that I'm programmed to try to help people. And and when I when I try to help people in this industry, you know, I, I don't think of myself as Bernie, the, the whirly guy who's just going to help them with with drink containers. I, I really, truly try to help people uh, wherever I can, whenever I can. You know, if someone's got a question about, um, you know, a, a, any type of equipment or or they need help uh, designing a kitchen, you know, I, I'm not that guy. But I've been lucky enough over my 30 years to meet a lot of people, and and I can certainly give some guidance as to you know suggestions who people can talk to and and where they can get that information. and And I think people have come to to realize that that they can come to me with that. It just doesn't have to be about about beverage and food containers. It, it can be about anything, and, and I will do my best to to try to figure out and, and help them where to go and, you know, find out, you know, how to solve whatever issue it is that they, they might have. Well, Bernie, since you opened it up, I'm going to ask you about just about anything. Um, sure. I am curious because I, I saw in another interview that you did, you talked about the adult sippy cup and it, is that something that you invented? Yeah. So, so I, I always try to think of it. So in my industry, I'm talking that now I'm putting my whirly hat on. Yeah. I, you know, we're, we're serving drinks in our containers and, and I've always thought about, okay, where do people go, right? People go to theme parks. So, you know, again, it was, it was a natural for me to, to try to figure out how I could best serve the theme park industry. You know, people go to arenas and stadiums, you know, so we've worked that out. But the thing that used to bother me is when I would go to Broadway, I would go to a play and if I bought a drink, I either had to slam it before the performance or at intermission, I had to go back. And, you know, I had like by the time I waited in line, I had like eight seconds to finish my drink. And I thought, man, you know, why aren't they allowing people to take their drinks back to the seat? So, you know, I did some investigating. I talked to people and, you know, we don't want spills. These are all historic theaters. We just redid our theater. We don't want people spilling anywhere. And I said, if we came up with a cup and we put a lid on it and people could just drink through the lid, now I've got one sitting here right now. Uh, and the, the industry, and believe me, this was not something that, that happened overnight. It, it took me 10 years to get somebody to really test this out and, and to go. But when, when Broadway saw, I think um, about 10 or 15 years ago, there was a little lull on Broadway. They were really having trouble. Uh, they, I, I would say that they, were, you know, they, they had trouble drawing people and drawing crowds. So, you know, they, they weren't printing money like, like they, they seem to uh, uh, other times. And someone finally said, you know what, Let, let's try this out. And so they, 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 they brought the cup in. 
Uh, we, we, we developed this cup that, that the lid could fit on so that you could take it back to your seat. They didn't have to worry about spills. And people were generating uh, eight to 10 times the revenue in food and beverage that they were um, you know, previously. So one of the, the theater owners that I talked to said, you know, um, we're always looking for those, those $100,000 ideas and these little ideas, and, and, and you've brought us a million-dollar idea. So I, I think I do get credit for <laughs> being the person who, uh, to, who invented the, the, the adult sippy cup that, that a lot of performance theaters use around the country today. So. Well, what I think is really cool about that and kind of seeing parallels with the RFID example is that you know, there, there's the problem that needed to be addressed. And that's mainly that the, the theater owners and operators didn't want the mess inside the theater uh, where the solution ultimately solved that and made substantially more revenue in the same process too. So um, really cool to, I guess, continue to, to see the, the benefits coming out of it because just like the RFID chip, there's that additional cost to put that lid on the cup. But if you're gonna sell way more from it, then it's a worthwhile investment. And selfishly, Josh, now I can take my drink back to the seat and I can enjoy <laughs> it instead of having to slam it down. You solved the problem for yourself. Really. I did. <laughs> I, so I, I have a question. Is there uh, any particular cup or container that stands out in your mind as being one of the most unique or unusual examples that you like to share or that, uh, or that uh, you've come across in, in the last couple of decades? Wow, that's really that's a, that's a really good question, Josh. And, and I, honestly, as I sit here and think about it, I'm sure there are, are many that um, that I could, but but I, I'm well, I, you know, okay. There is one. There's one because I, I actually helped develop this from the ground up. But uh, Radio City Music Hall, um, they were looking to develop a signature drink for their Christmas show, and I thought to myself, what if, what if we took a martini glass and we put rocket legs as the the martini glass stem? And then had a base on it. So um, I, I actually created, we called it a rocketini. So there was this martini glass with uh, rocket legs that were that were kicking out from, uh, from, from the from the stem of the glass. So for me, that was probably the coolest one just because I, I was intimately involved. But as I said before, my, my counterparts that, that handle Disney and work in in Florida and California with their teams, they, they've done some really amazing looking product uh we even did you know what here's one even something simple like this is um a specialty cocktail glass that we did for radio city music hall it kind of looks like the radio city marquee you know if you've ever seen the marquee outside and i'm sorry for doing this guys because i know it's really hard to see <laughs> on a on a webinar like this but um but yeah so you know something like this is really cool we created one for madison square garden it's a custom glass that that looks like madison square garden when you pick it up so there, there's just been um th th there's too many to mention without offending the the, the people that, um, that, that I, that I'll forget to mention out there. How's, how's that for a, for an answer? I, I love yeah. that martini yeah. glass. Yeah. yeah. Well, Bernie, I don't know if you did this, uh, in preparation for the podcast or this is just all the stuff that's in your office anyway, but you're, you're pulling out all kinds of different things. and showing us. So I would love to see your office someday to see all the stuff that must be in there. 
Yeah, Matt, don't talk to my wife about that. Um, <laughs> Is this a problem? I, I think she'd be embarrassed to let you back here. But um, but yeah, I, I do normally have samples on my desk because I'm working on projects. Um, that, that one glass that I held up for for Madison Square Garden, and it's something that they're going to release at Christmas time. So it's, um, you know, you guys got a preview of something that no one else has seen. <laughs> awesome. I, so I know we're starting to run a little low on time, but... I, I was thinking about kind of as you described the the Rocketini glass and kind of showed the other examples is how important is the design of the cup or the container? I would say from a marketing perspective, when a guest buys one is walking around the park with it, that it now becomes visual marketing. It basically are these small billboards that are going around that then help influence the sales of, of more cups or more containers. Yeah, absolutely. No question about that, Josh. That, that's, uh, that's key. You know, uh, design, you know, if we're doing a, a simple product, you know, like with, like we said, the, the coffee cup that Dutch Wonderland did this Christmas, um, it, it's the design, you know, people are drawn to the design. I, I always tell people that I could take Whirly's worst selling item, whatever that is. And I don't even know what that is now with, you know, with, with COVID and, and how things have changed, but I can take our worst selling item, put a great design on it and go out there and sell that all day long. In reverse, I could take our most popular product. And if somebody fumbles on the design, it could sit on shelves forever and it wouldn't matter how hard it was pushed or, you know, or how people tried to sell it, it just wouldn't move. So the, those little walking billboards are very important and you want those walking billboards to, to look nice and represent your brand. And, and luckily uh, the, the, the team at Whirly Drink Works, the graphics team that I have behind me there, they, they, they do an outstanding job of that. Uh, and, and of course, we get a lot of people that provide us with the designs ahead of time, and, and they know that they're on point, they know their brand, so they, they know what they want to see. But I, I've got a great team at Whirly behind me that can also help with that type of thing. You know, Bernie, one of the things that this might be sort of a rabbit trail, if you will, um, but Josh and I love to go down those sometimes, is as you were showing the different designs, it occurred to me that the liquid that that's supposed to hold may also play into the design, meaning like when you showed the Dutch Wonderland co uh, coffee mug, it looked very different than the beer mug that you showed. Right. So how does, how does that kind of factor in not only to the, maybe the type of vessel, but also the design? Yeah, I, I mean, that, that absolutely factors in, Matt. If someone's doing, uh, you know, if they're going to put coffee in the cup, obviously we, we need some type of double wall container because you want, you want people to be able to hold it. Um, you know, the, the one thing that, um, the one thing that it's really interesting and I'll go down a different rabbit hole for you, but, but when we, when we started making products for, uh, for the, for the theme park industry, um, I sat on this presentation that Coca-Cola gave one time and Josh, you alluded to this, that the reason people don't buy drinks at a theme park is because they have to carry them around, right? That that's the number one reason. Uh, the number two reason is price, but you know, price is always up there. It doesn't matter if you give it away, people will complain about the price of it. But but one of my counterparts came up with this, this little handle, okay, this little pail handle, which you'll see on almost everything we do in the theme park industry now. If it's not a pal handle, it's a lanyard. But, but making that product easier to carry and easier to walk around was one of the best things that we ever did. Probably one of the best simple ideas. You know, this little seven cent strap 
when we added it to people's containers, it, it actually increased sales by 30 to 40% on the souvenir beverage containers. So that little seven cent idea, just making it easier to carry around. And listen, if, if my counterpart and I didn't go sit down, Alec Conroe is his name, by the way, I'll give Alec uh, full credit for developing that pail handle. If we didn't sit on that Coke presentation and, and we didn't see the research that they had, we, we may have never thought about that, or, or maybe we think about that five or six years later, right? Or maybe our competition thinks of that first, but, but we happen to be in that particular spot, in that presentation, saw that particular slide, and, and a light bulb just went off, and, and that's how, uh, you know, that, that, so we, did, we made it easier for people to carry our product around the theme park. So I'm sorry, I completely took us in a different direction. <laughs> but since I had that sitting here and I remembered that, I, I thought I'd go that way. We yeah. love rabbit trails no matter which way they go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, Bernie, I, this has just been a, such a, a fun conversation. We really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. If people wanted to get a hold of you directly, if they wanted to learn more about you or Worldly Drinkworks, where would you send them? Yeah, worldlydrinkworks.com. They can go to our website. They can easily find me on my website. Um, you know, I, I've got about 20 counterparts around the country that I work with. So uh, we, we've got somebody out there that, that can really help them. Uh, you know, all of the information about Valid Fill and Drinkworks and Easy Go or Stainless Steel Division, it, it's all easily found on our website. And of course, now you can find me with IAPA too. You know, you can stop anybody at IAPA uh, if, if that's who you're in contact with, and they can certainly tell you how to, to get in touch with me. So I, I appreciate you asking. Absolutely. Well, like Josh said, this has been a, a wonderful and fun conversation. I loved going down all the rabbit trails and, and getting really nerdy about uh, your, your souvenir uh, souvenir container. So Bernie, thank you again for the time that you've been able to spend with us. And to everybody out there watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.